It's beautiful, especially when the music stops and the voices are all that's left and it's just several people coming together in unity, singing worship to God. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So um, we're going to be in two places. We're going to be in John 10 and we're going to be in Matthew 28. We'll be in John 10 first. So John 10 verse 11 is where we're going to be at. But before we get there, we're going to do some review. Um, I'm actually going to steal a catchphrase from uh, our district superintendent, Mr. Phil Hagar. I was actually talking to him and I was telling him that I'd been reviewing and reviewing and reviewing, almost beating it into the ground. And he said, you know, he said, when I was pastoring, he said, I used to do the same thing. He said, and I called it purposeful redundancy. And he said, I said it so much that it became a catchphrase in our church. And every time I said purposeful redundancy, everybody laughed. But the point is, is repetition sticks things in our minds, whether it's good or whether it's bad. If you hear something over and over and over and over again, eventually it's just going to get stuck and it's going to get implanted. For example, and I don't know how many of you have caught this, but if I asked you or if somebody in the street asked you, how do I get saved? Hopefully, and we'll go through it again because I'm not expecting everyone to be scholars, but hopefully your mind would go, well, it's by the grace of God in Christ by faith forever. And you may not have the five points like that, and it may not be just fluent and eloquent, but hopefully one of those points is going to already be in your mind from how often we went over that and over that, that you're going to get one of those points. And as you get to talking about that, you'd surprise even yourself and another point would come up because you've heard it. And sometimes repetition sticks things in our minds that we don't even realize are stuck there until somebody is pushed. So you never know what's in you until you're squeezed. That's it. You never know what's inside of an olive until you squeeze it and then the juice starts to come out. So that whatever's inside of you, when the push comes to shove and the pressure's on, will come out. And that stuff, week after week, that purposeful redundancy, that constant repetition is going to come out of you when you're squeezed. So... Just to review, today is the finale or the conclusion, the exclamation point on our series on Christian maturity. And how many of you know what the five phases of Christian maturity are? We'll walk through them. It's the unformed substance, and we get that from Psalm 119. It's the baby or the newborn, the child of God, the adult, and then finally the father or the parent. Um, So just to run through that real quick, In each of those sections, each of those points of Christian maturity, we're going to look for three things. We were looking, what's expected of us at this maturity level? How does God deal with us? I.e., how does He discipline us? How does He bless us? How does He reward us? And finally, how do we relate to God at this level of Christian maturity or at this place in our Christian walk? And so for the unformed substance, like I said, we got that from Psalm 139. I'm sorry, 139 a moment ago, I said 119. We got that from Psalm 139, verse 14 through 16. It says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Unformed substance. What's expected of an unformed substance? that they come to full formation and that they're born. 
in the natural, when you're when a lady is pregnant with a child, all that's really expected of that child is that their levels continue to progress and that they come to form formation, that they become a baby and that they are birthed. In the spiritual, it's the same thing. When somebody is an unformed substance, I like to call it pre-regenerate sanctification. Some people call it regeneration before faith. Some people call it prevenient grace. Whatever is called, all that's expected of somebody that is not yet formed or that not yet born again all that we expect of them is that they come to that knowledge of God, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that they are born again, that they are saved, that they are converted. We don't expect them to know all the ins and outs of theology. We don't expect them to know the doctrines of the church. We don't expect them to know bylaws. We don't expect them to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, walk a certain way. All we expect of them is that they come to the knowledge of God and that they're born again. That's all we expect. How does God deal with us as an unformed substance? It rains on the just and unjust. There's no specific reward system or punishment system set up for somebody that's outside the covenant of God. Um, again, how do we relate to God? We're born again. We give our life to Him. We realize that He's holy, that He's God, that we're not. And we submit to His authority and let Him become Lord of our life. And we're born again. As a baby, somebody that's born, somebody that just comes to that saving knowledge, What's expected of us? We got that from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk or the milk of the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed that you have tasted the Lord is good. So if you've tasted the Lord's good, if you've come to that knowledge of Jesus Christ, if you are saved and you are converted, then all that's expected of you is that you get into the Word, that you find the milk of the Word. That's why we did that sheet and broke it down saying this is the milk of the Word. You find that. You drink that. You let the Word nourish you and grow you. And you progress into a child. You grow. Babies eat, sleep, grow, and make messes. We expect babies to mess up. We expect people that are young, that are immature in Christ. And immaturity, we use it as a degrading term in our society, but immaturity is not degrading. It's just simply saying that someone hasn't matured to a certain state yet. It's not degrading in its normal connotation. It's just an observation that someone has not yet come to full maturity. It doesn't matter. You self-examine yourself and figure out... Examine yourself. Self-examine yourself. You examine yourself and figure out where exactly you are. You don't have to tell anybody. Just be honest with yourself and say, where am I at on this level of maturity? If you're not yet saved, if you're an unformed substance and you're just God curious, you just know about God, you don't have a relationship with God, then what do you need to do? You need to be born again. You need to come to that saving knowledge. If you realize that you're a baby, what do you need to do? You need to be honest with yourself. You need to get into the Word, abide in the Word, let the Word abide in you. And what I mean by abiding in the Word is make this your life food every day for a few minutes a day and as many times as you can every time you think of it there's bible apps on everybody has a smartphone now pull it out get into your bible as many times as you can abide in the word let it cover you let it soak you and let it grow you figure out where you're at and then let that bring you to the next level so that you can grow up in christ we expect babies to make messes and we should expect not condone or encourage babies in Christ or people that are new converts to make messes, but we should have grace and leniency and understand that they do. They're going to get off into some false doctrine. They're going to get off into some false teaching. They're going to slip up and misunderstand Scripture. They may be irreverent by accident at times, 
We need to understand that that's possible, that's probable. We need to show them grace, realizing that they're not yet come to full maturity. And we love them, we encourage them, we help them when necessary, we clean up the mess, and we move forward. And how do we relate to God as a baby? We let God grow up. We let the Holy Spirit in, we let Him work through us, and we let Him provide the increase. As a child of God, children, what's expected of us? Children are becoming to the point where they're responsible for their own actions. As a child of God, as you grow and you become a child of God and you're becoming more mature, you begin to become responsible for the things that you know in the Word that you do and that you don't do. You begin to become more accountable for your actions. This is where God starts to bring in more discipline. See, as an unformed substance, there's no discipline because you're not in the covenant. As a baby in Christ, there is no discipline because you're a baby. We didn't beat Claire when she had colic, even though she screamed 12 hours a day and we didn't like that action. God shows the abundant and overwhelming and ever-increasing, I'm sorry, not ever-increasing, ever-sustaining grace while we're babies. But once we become children of God and we start to become responsible for our actions, God begins to discipline us. That's in Hebrews 12. He begins to show us discipline because He loves us. Discipline is a sign of love. So He disciplines those whom He loves and the ones that He doesn't discipline are not sons. And how do we relate to God as a child. We respect Him and reverence Him as our Father. You may remember the Abba Father. We won't get back into that breakdown. We'll just say that we are intimate with God, acknowledging Him as our Abba. And we respect God and reverence Him, not acknowledging that He is our Father, but He is still the sovereign Creator and Lord of all the universe. There's still protocol. There's still reverence. We still walk before Him in humility. And then last week we finally got to an adult in Christ. And this is when we really went heavy into practicing what your faith mandates. This is when when we went into it and said, if you read it in the Word, then you need to figure out a way to apply it to your life. If the Word says be holy, then you need to figure out how to be holy. You need to seek the Word and let the Word define the Word and figure out, okay, it says Christ is perfect, I need to be perfect. What does that mean and how do I get there? It says that God is holy, I need to be holy. What does that mean and how do I get there? It says don't talk like this, but talk like this. Don't walk like this or act like this towards others. So how do I do that? You know, when they hate you, when they persecute you, you love them in return. And we went through Philippians 2, or we at least referenced it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not saying, hey, it's your salvation. You do with it what you want and you're still saved. No, rather it's saying that God's done a work in you. Now you need to let that work go through you and manifest out of you. So as an adult, we went into Hebrews 5 where it says this is the time when you ought to be teachers but you have to go back again to the maturity of a babe because you need milk not solid food what we were saying is is this isn't a rebuke for our church but it's a rebuke for those who are at that level of spiritual maturity but instead of walking out their salvation they're still acting like babies in the faith now everybody doesn't need a microphone and preach behind a pulpit but that's not saying that everyone isn't a preacher. That's not saying that everyone can't provide and evangelize the gospel to those that they meet in their workplace, on the street, in Walmart. You can always evangelize the gospel, whether that's with words, whether that's your actions, whether that's your conduct, that your relation to your family when you're out in public. Whatever that means, you can preach the gospel. There's a... Uh, former saint, St. Francis of Assisi, and they had this statement. They said, at all times preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. 
And it's a powerful statement because you let your actions preach. And then when they ask about your actions, then you have the opportunity to back your actions with words. So often we put forth the words first and then our actions doesn't, don't back our words. We don't practice what we preach. Rather, they're saying you practice and then when they notice, then you preach. So it's basically just flipping the script and saying walk it out and then talk it out. So does that make sense? Adult, you work it out. How does God discipline an adult? He disciplines us as an adult. As an adult, life can be rough sometimes. Circumstances come. It still rains on the just and the unjust. You still deal with those things. God still holds you accountable for your actions. And sometimes you have to clean up after your own mess. You know, it's like this. You know, you go and you cheat on your wife 50 times and she divorces you. You pray for forgiveness. God forgives you. But you're still going to have to deal with the natural repercussions of the actions that you do. You go out and you rob a bank and you commit murder. You may spend the rest of your life in prison. Yes, God will forgive you because he's an abundant in mercy. He's abundant in forgiveness. But he's still going to make you deal with the repercussions of your actions. That's just part of it. Now, sometimes God works supernaturally because of his sovereign purpose and he will alleviate some of those circumstances so you can accomplish a work however we have to understand that there are natural repercussions for our actions and god will make us deal with those sometimes if you quit your job you may not be able to pay your bills that's not god's fault he's just making you accountable for your actions and how do we respond or relate to god as an adult again we work out our salvation with fear and trembling we work it out knowing that God's put it there. And we do it with fear and with trembling. We reverence and we honor God. Make sense? All right. Purposeful redundancy. Purposeful redundancy. Unformed substance, baby, child, adult, and a father or a parent in ministry. So the thing that I have to ask is what is the difference between a teacher or somebody that's at full maturity and a father? And the first one is obvious or at least it is it from a natural perspective. A father automatically denotes or indicates reproduction. I, it doesn't matter how old I am, whether I'm 30 or whether I'm 80. That doesn't make me a father. Chronological age and physical maturity, mental, intellectual maturity, intellectual ascension does not make me a father. What makes me a father is having a child. Once I have a child, in my image, because the two shall come together and be one, and that child will be in my image. Once I have a child, that makes me a father at that moment. So the first is reproduction. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 4.15. And you don't have to turn there. We're working our way to John, I promise. (laughs) For though you have countless gods, King James says, for though you have many teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. They have all kinds of teachers. Everybody wants to put something off on you. Everybody wants to teach you something. Everybody wants to show you something. The difference between a teacher and a father is a teacher can appear in your life one time. You may never, they may never meet you. They can be somebody you see on TV and they teach something to you. They are not your spiritual father. A spiritual father or mother, because we're not, we're not sexist, it can be a father or a mother. A spiritual father or a mother is somebody that reproduces what God has done in them and you. It demands reproduction. So what is the difference and what does that look like from a Christian perspective? And this is where we're going to get into John 10. John 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Then the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The difference between a father and the teacher is the same difference between a shepherd and a hired hand, or a hireling, if you're using the King James Bible. The difference is this. It's ownership. It's investment. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. But the hired hand, the one that's just in it to receive something out of it, they're going to see the wolf coming and they're going to run. I'm not. I'm going to lay down my life so that the sheep might live. A father is somebody that comes along and is completely invested. It's somebody that comes along and they're reproducing themselves in you and they're willing to give everything that they have so that you might prosper. They're willing to give everything of themselves so that you might receive something. They're trying to make you into something. See, as an itinerant preacher or a traveling evangelist or somebody that just appeared at a church and may never preach in that church again, I would go and I preached whatever I wanted to and I said whatever I wanted to and I just let it all on the table and I didn't care how people received it. And I really, to be honest, and even to my discredit, I didn't really care how it impacted or affected them. So what if they got mad at me? I never, I didn't have to see these people again. And if I did, it wouldn't be, it'd be a while before I did see them again. So it wasn't as, bear, as weight bearing on me for how they received it or how it affected them. In all honesty, sometimes I wanted to make people mad because I wanted to provoke them to action through their anger. The problem with that is, is I was preaching a message and I didn't have a desired aim. I wanted to preach, I wanted to glorify God, and I wanted to leave. Here it's different because when I became a pastor, and by the way, the word pastor and shepherd, they're interchangeable. Sometimes when people talk about the fivefold ministry, they regard a pastor as a shepherd. As a pastor, I have been preaching towards a goal. Every week as we progress, my goal is a little bit higher and a little bit higher and a little bit higher because I don't want to just preach a message and you to look up here and say, wow, he can preach. Now that's fine. If you say I'm a good preacher, you say I'm a bad preacher, that's fine. I don't care. What I care about is each week you're a little bit further. You've grown a little bit more. Each week you're a little bit further than you were the week before. Each week you're a little bit more mature in your Christian walk. Each week you're a little bit more capable. You're a little bit more advanced in your spirituality. Each week you might be a little bit more prominent in the gift that God's given you. Each week you might be a little bit more excited, have a little bit more fervor, be ready to do a little bit more for God. And eventually, we're going to have a room full of disciple and disciple makers. Because really and truthfully, that's what this is all about. When David, as a shepherd, he was out with his father's sheep. And before he faces the giant, before he faces Goliath, he, he says to Saul, he says, the lion came and the bear came and God delivered me from both of them. I caught the lion in the beard and killed it. And I killed a bear with a sling. And so we look at David and we think of David as this scrawny boy. But I personally would be scared to death to try and grab a lion by his beard and kill him with my bare hands or with an antique, ancient weapon like what David had. But David, fearlessly, knowing the power of God, killed the lion, killed the bear, and because he did the lion and he did the bear, he was able to face Goliath, a man of war from his youth that the entire Israelite army cowered in fear from. 
See, David wasn't just instantly a giant killer. And the interesting thing about David is after David killed Goliath, he had what was called his mighty men. And they each went out and killed four other giants. That's recorded in Scripture. David dealt with a root issue and set a standard. And then Israel was able to adhere to his standard. See, David was keeping and tending his father's sheep. He was willing to give his life for the actual physical animal sheep by killing a lion and killing a bear because those were his father's sheep. So as a pastor, you stand in front of God's sheep because we're the sheep of His pasture. And you are willing to deal with issues that may cost you your reputation, that may cost you everything that you have, but you're willing to put all that on the line. For Faith and I, we were willing to sell our house without yet having yet purchased a house. And this is not a pat on the back for us. This is just us trying to do what God said do in His Word. We sold everything that we had. We moved down here before we owned the house and started pastoring. And it was a while after pastoring before we actually owned the house. And we were dealing with all of these issues, putting it on the line, saying, God, these are your people. This is where you've called us. We're giving it all. And because we did that, God has continually blessed us and shown us His favor in that. Yeah, we've still had issues. There's still lions coming. There's still bears coming. Occasionally it might be a giant. We deal with those and we move on. But the thing that happened with David when he protected the sheep, when he was willing to give his life for the sheep, nobody's seen him kill that lion. Nobody's seen him kill that bear. And you may not always see the things that come against you when you're defending God's sheep or when you're putting your life on the line. But what's interestingly enough is God did. He who sees in secret will reward you openly. God knew what He did for His father's sheep. God knows what you'll do for your father's sheep. And so then the day will come when an entire Israelite army, yours may not be an Israelite army, but an entire Israelite army is standing, cowering in fear because the devil has them in a chokehold. And you stand up in front of a giant and you're able to kill a giant and set a standard. And then the entire Israelite army individuals out of that rise up and they're able to go and do the same thing which previously they weren't able to do. That's the difference between a father and a teacher. See, David could have went to Saul and said, this is what you do. You take this sling and you spin it around and you just chuck this stone at his head and that's going to work. Good luck. That's what a teacher will do. But a pastor is going to go out there and he's going to get that stone himself. He's going to slay that giant and then he's going to go back to you and he's going to show you how he did it. He's going to walk it out before he talks it out. He's going to practice it, then he's going to preach it. He's not going to preach it and then hope that you can practice it. He's going to do it first and then expect and watch you do it. And then when you do it, he's going to be there saying, yeah, you did that right. This was a little bit sour. This was a little bit raw. Let's refine that and let's keep moving forward. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep growing. Let's keep pressing. That's the difference. That's the difference between a father and a teacher, between a shepherd and a hired hand. Matthew 28, verse 18. Normally I wouldn't make you turn, but I want you to get this. Because this is what we're going to build the church on. This is what we're going to build this church on. Some of you have seen this and you've seen it week in and week out because it was posted on that door. You walked in it was right on your rock for weeks, months. I don't know how long it was there, maybe years. But it was there for a long time. This is what we're going to build the church on. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, 
Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's the thing about Jesus. Let's put this back in the paradigm that we've been making as the Good Shepherd. Jesus didn't walk up and say, hey, this is what you do. This is how you make disciples. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Good luck. No, Jesus walked for three and a half years throughout with the twelve disciples, and sometimes there was thousands following him. Sometimes there was 70, sometimes there was hundreds. Regardless of where he who was at, he was practicing it. He was continually showing how to teach, how to make disciples. He was walking it out. And then at the end of his ministry, when he was about to let our, he had already laid his life down, he was about to ascend in heaven, he said, Now, now do it. This is how you do it. You've watched me do it. He then, after his death and his resurrection, spent 40 days teaching them. Then he said, Go and do it. He practiced it. Then he preached it. We're going to practice, and then we're going to preach. This is what we're building the church on. So the first thing about discipleship is the reproduction aspect. Discipleship is making somebody follow you as you follow Christ. That's Paul's words. He says, you follow me as I've followed Christ. He's not essentially saying, just follow me because I'm awesome. He's saying, I'm on this road, this journey towards Jesus, and I'm a little bit further down the road than you. So if you'll just look at me, because Jesus may still be too far ahead for you to get a, a real good picture, but if you'll just look at me and just follow me as I follow Jesus, you can see me leading you to Jesus. The path may be blurry. The path may be dim. The path may be crooked. And Jesus may be blurry and dim and hard to see sometimes. But if you'll follow me, I will lead you closer and closer to Jesus. And then hopefully, hopefully what will happen is you will take my ceiling or the place where I stop on this road and you will make it your floor or your starting point and you'll be able to go even further towards Jesus than what I'm doing. I would love nothing better than if everybody in this room could make me look like an idiot in the word everybody in this room could have more maturity and walk in greater level of christian power than what i ever could i would love it nothing more if everyone in here made me look like a baby christian because i want you to go further i want you to go deeper i want you to go beyond where i'm at i don't want you to say i'm going to try to be like him and that be it i want you to say i'm going to try to be like him in the word so then i can be more than him because that's the difference between a father or a pastor and a hired hand. That's the difference between a pastor and a teacher. Is A teacher is going to say, just do this. Try and be like me. A pastor is going to say, no, don't stop here. This is as far as I've been able to make it. I've struggled and I've clawed and I've fought to get here. But I want you to realize that this isn't the end. I'm not the full image of Jesus. I'm just trying my best. I still have flaws. I still have failures. And I've stopped short. Don't stop where I'm at. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep getting further. So looking at this. There's only one commandment in this whole passage. We say go, we say make disciples, we say teach, we say command, we say baptize. And we, there's only one command in this entire passage. And this is what the Alliance pushes so hard. The only command in this entire passage is make disciples. Everything else is a filter or a subpoint under that. Going is a subpoint. Teaching, commanding them to obey what I've commanded you baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Those are all steps in the process of making disciples, but they're still a part of the process of making disciples. The definition of discipleship is having Christ's character and having Christ's priorities 
and then reproducing them in someone else. The definition of discipleship is having Christ's character, the way that He talks, the way that He handles Himself in situations, the way that He prays, the way that He walks, the way that He works, the way that He reacts to people, the way that He deals with circumstances. If that sounds familiar, it's because that's what's on your how to, what to read and when to read. That's what I want you to look for when you're reading the Gospels. Christ's character and having His priorities. What is Christ about? What is Christ focused on? And then reproducing that in someone else. That's what discipleship it is. That's the definition that the Southern District of the Alliance has put forth that I looked at and was like, that's it. And trying to apply that to my own life. And that's what I want us to apply as a church. I want us to look at Jesus, say, that's the goal. That's the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's where I'm headed. Now let's get there and let's turn around and let's condescend to people of a lower estate and let's grab them by the hand and let's pull them towards Jesus with us. Let's be fathers and mothers of God in God so that we can create disciples. Let's not just be disciples ourselves, but let's be disciple makers. Everyone in here has the potential to be a disciple maker. You have the potential to achieve full maturity in Christ and bring others with you. And you don't have to be a father or a mother or at that stage to make a disciple. Understand what I'm saying here. If you're a baby in Christ and you see an unformed substance, you can make them a baby in Christ. If you're a child in Christ and you see a baby in Christ, you can help them become a child. You can pull them up the ladder of maturity. If you're a young adult or teacher, you can pull them up to your level and then together you can go to the next level with them. See, the father-mother-parent stage isn't just the next step above teacher. It's inclusive of all these steps. Wherever you're at, you have the ability to bring somebody up to where you're at. You don't necessarily have the ability to push them to the next stage, but you can bring them to where you're at and then encourage them and say, you can go further, you can go further, you can go further. And that's what we want to do. We want to be a church of disciples that makes disciples that makes disciples that makes disciples. That's the goal. We're to wanting to be a healthy church. A church that matures believers to their fullest potential so that they can make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And that's going to be repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated until you're tired of it, until you're tired of the words purposeful redundancy, and you're tired of the words of intentional repetition until you're tired of it, and it comes out of your mouth like word vomit, and you're sick of hearing disciples make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. But that's the goal. That's what we want to be. Christ didn't come and preach to 5,000 people and say, I'm just taking you all with me. I'm the best. Look at how many followers I have. No, He said things that drove them away, and He said, let them go. And he focused on the twelve. And he poured his heart and his soul and his mind into the twelve. And he said, now you are at full maturity. Go and do the same thing. Make disciples. And under making disciples, you teach them what you know. You teach them what I have taught you. Teach them what I have commanded. And that's, praise God we've got this. Praise God we've got this because how are you going to teach them what Jesus has commanded you without having what Jesus has commanded you right here? So if you're ever at a loss, just say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question. I'll tell you what. Let's open the Bible together. Let's open it together and see what Jesus has commanded us. And then baptizing them. And praise God that's what we're going to do next weekend. We're going to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
and we're going to help them full mature in Christ. That's the goal. Now, real quick, real quick, I don't know how long I've been, I don't care, but real quick, <laughs> real quick, the whole point. Here it is, the whole point. And you can just write this in your notes. You can write the whole point real big and underline it, underline it. This is the whole point of everything. The whole point of this series of Christian maturity, the whole point of this church, the whole goal, this is it, this is our aim, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, yes. who is the image of God. We're conformed to Christ, who is the image of God. Yes. God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the whole point. And I want to prove it. Christ. There's a little lady. Her name was Mary. She was a virgin. She wasn't married. She had never known a man. This awesome angel appeared to her and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. You're going to be pregnant with a baby. She's like, well, how's that possible? I've never known a man. He's like, because the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to overshadow you. You're going to have a baby. And she's like, let it be done unto me as you have spoken. She gets pregnant with the Son of God, Jesus. And a virgin gives birth. Christ was put by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. He was an unformed substance. What did He do? He reached full formation and He was born of a virgin. Christ was a baby. What did He do? Obviously, He was in the flesh. God in the flesh. Which if you can't... If we ever get tired of thinking about the fact of God putting on flesh, the man, I'm sorry, not the man, the being that has no creation, no beginning, no formation, nothing is greater than Him, all-inclusive, who simply spoke and galaxies were formed, the being who has the power to at any time speak or breathe or even will something into existence, the one whose very word sustains all life, and He confined himself to flesh if we ever just like get bored with that then we need to just get on our knees and say God help me get my reverence and my fear back because I've lost it but he was put in the womb of a virgin he was an unformed substance he reached full formation and he was born and then as a baby he depended upon his mother and the milk that she provided so that he could grow and then as a child when they had made their annual trip to Jerusalem, he was found in the temple asking questions and responding to questions. And he was, not only had he grown on the milk, but now he was actually abiding in the Word. And then as an adult, even before he took on the disciples, when he began his ministry, he was teaching. And he was putting forth these powerful messages such as the Sermon on the Mount and all of these different things that was being put forth as a teacher. And then as a father in ministry, he reproduced himself in the twelve and then told them, now you do it. So each one of these steps of Christian maturity, we're simply just looking at, okay, this is how Jesus grew and this is how Jesus did it. And he's our example and he's the goal that we're trying to be conformed to. So now let's do what Jesus did. Let's act like Jesus acted and let's become like Jesus is because what what does the word say? It says, as he is, so are we in this world. Just everybody just take a second. I don't do this a lot, but just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And here's what I want. I don't care what step you're at. 
if you're an unformed substance right now, everybody's eyes are closed, nobody's looking. If you're an unformed substance, meaning you're God curious, but you don't really have a relationship with God and you know that you don't have a relationship with God, then first and foremost, I want you to have the opportunity right now to give your life to God and be born again. Realizing that it's the grace of God in Christ through faith and it is forever. Heaven's forever, hell's forever. This choice, today is the day of salvation. Choose you this day whom you will serve. This choice is going to be the causation of whatever your eternity is. So right now, if you're unformed, if you don't know God, if you're God curious, just come up and let's pray over you and let's let's get you saved. Let's give your life to Jesus Christ. Just wait just a second. still available regardless. You have till the close of service and then even after. Now, now that we've opened it up and we've let the opportunity be known that anyone can come forward and give their life to Jesus that doesn't know Jesus, here's what I want to pray. You can open your eyes. Here's what I want to pray. And I want you to be very specific. I want each one of you to pray, not just listen to me pray. I want you to be very specific. Just say, God, not right now, but just in a second. I want you to say, God, wherever I'm at, help me discover where I'm at in the level of in the path of Christian maturity. And then I want you to say, God, help me go beyond where I'm at. Help me know you on a deeper level because you're never going to know God in His fullness. Even in eternity, the angels are still marveled and astounded by God's holiness. There's never a ceiling. There's no, no stopping point for this. So just wherever you're at, first prayer, God, help me discover where I'm at in the path of Christian maturity. And the second prayer is, God, help me go beyond where I'm at. Help me grow. Help me reproduce myself and others. Help me learn. Help me grow in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, talk in the Spirit, think in the Spirit. Help me become more like You. Lord, I simply just want to say this. I want to say that I thank You for this group of believers. And I want to thank You right now for what hasn't happened yet. I want to thank You for the maturity that they have not yet received. I want to thank You for the ministry that they've not yet accomplished. I want to thank You for the things that they've not yet done, but they're going to do in Your name. For the people that they're going to lead to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For the people that they're going to help grow in their own maturity and for the things that they're going to find revealed in Your Word, and for the wonderful time of intimacy that You're going to have with each and every one of them, and for the wonderful time of worship that we're going to have together as a corporate body, and the things that we're going to accomplish, because we are a church for Hancock County. In Jesus' name, Amen.